Welcome to Justice Is Now, the podcast. Justice Is Now is a charity with an aim of increasing the conviction rates regarding sexual violence. In each episode, we will be discussing various issues relating to this from many angles and discussing how education for criminal barristers could be changed. We will also be looking at understanding offending behavior on a deeper level. And of course, we will continue to amplify the voices of survivors. Learn more about the work of Justice Is Now. All the details are below each episode, or you can surf there right now on www.justiceisnow.org. And it is only fair to give you a trigger warning. This podcast does contain graphic descriptions and frank discussion of sexual violence. Some listeners may find it disturbing or triggering, so please practice self-care. And if you don't think it's for you, then please don't listen. We receive no government funding for this important work, and so we're entirely reliant on donations. So if you can help us at all, please donate on the website www.justiceisnow.org. Thank you. So hi, Nick, thank you so much for joining the Justice Is Now podcast. Uh, really excited to have you on our podcast today, uh, really talking about the issues which are affecting, you know, inter intergenerational and, and gender relationships, and um, particularly to try and understand a bit more about um, attitudes we have around our own sexual behaviour and other people's sexual behaviour. So I thought it would be um, interesting just to start maybe just to give us a little overview of kind of yourself and um, the work you do in psychology. Thank you very much. Very kind of you to invite me onto the programme. Um, so yeah, quick sort of overview. I started my career as a psychology lecturer. That was my kind of first job, published a couple of psychology guides. And then I went on to work for lots of organisations, um, including the BBC and BP. Uh, and then I was chief learning officer at Deloitte for a while. And a big part of my work there was looking at diversity, equity, inclusion programmes. Um, so kind of related contexts and I think the thing that brings a sort of bang up to date is I became really interested in conversations on TikTok and what I love about TikTok is that it gives you sort of insight into um, a lot of the battles I guess that you you wouldn't otherwise see because I guess we all live in a bit of a bubble and I found some of it shocking I found some of it shocking when so for example men who were talking about this statistic that something like 50% of women by a certain date aren't going to be married or have children, as if this was a horrendous thing. And also young men who are saying really quite disturbing things and this whole sort of, you know, Andrew Tate phenomenon. And so I ended up sort of chipping in to a conversation um, about why it's actually advantageous for women not to be in relationships and not to have kids. And all of the psychological research shows it's good for their longevity and their mental well-being, their, their, even just things like their sleep improves. And I think you, you picked up on that and that led us to this conversation. So I, I don't pretend to be an authority but um, on, on sort of gender related issues, but I do know a little bit about the psychology and it's something that I'm, I'm personally interested in. Um, thanks so much, Nick. And it, it's really interesting that you picked up upon obviously social media and um, I think some kind of extremities and polarisation can really come out in social media around attitudes. And the benefit can be really we get to understand people's attitudes and behaviours. Maybe we don't see it offline and it comes out online. So, you know, it really, really interesting to see that interaction that you've had on TikTok. Um, I suppose for us as well, just thinking about the work we do justices now, uh, a lot of the work is looking around sexual violence and people who potentially could sit on juries and um, 
And I thought it'd be interesting, I know this, this is a separate topic, but really to start to think about how people actually judge other people's sexual behaviour. Yeah. Um, and particularly maybe a phenomenon of, not a phenomenon, but something that's always been around is a judgment around females who are seen to be maybe promiscuous or sexual. And, and, you know, maybe just if it's okay just to explore why women, and I know men do as well, but why women often for a long, a long period of time have been judged if they're seen to be sort of sexual in any way. Yeah, I think that especially in uh, Western culture, there's a lot of shame historically and in other cultures that's attached to sexual behaviour generally. So it's very hard to unravel shame and taboo from kind of se sexual behaviour for both men and women. Um, and I think that within that set of dynamics, um, it's been used often to effectively opp oppress women and to... Um, it, you know, they're treated differentially, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, men and women. So men's sexual behavior can even be lauded. You know, this is kind of a commonly recognized phenomenon where if a, if a man has lots of sexual partners, that's seen as something that he might, you know, boast about. Or um, whereas if women, you know, do the same thing, that's seen as sort of shameful, there are lots of labels attached to that. And it's really disturbing in a sense that we do this because it seems to me almost kind of medieval, but it's bang up to date, this kind of attitude. It also varies cross-culturally. So I was fortunate enough to, you know, spend several months when I was sort of younger in, in Sweden and in Scandinavia, it was common to have um, sort of mixed changing areas, for example, in swimming pools and people would be naked. And for, for somebody from the UK, which I think is still quite a kind of repressed, you know, society set sexual wise it's still emerging i guess from the victorian era that seems so radical that men and women would be wandering around kind of naked in the same space but after a while you realize just how normal and kind of healthy that is and you think well wouldn't the world be a different place if we had you know kind of grown up like that so i think that's part of it that sort of socialization but i think that i was struck by a video from a young man who's basically saying all of society's problems are now down to effectively women showing off their bodies, you know, either via Instagram or via things like OnlyFans. And it struck me just how, although he wasn't saying it, how much that was like a, like a Taliban attitude, frankly. It was just a question of like how much clothing somebody should wear. And this inclination on the part of men in particular to ascribe all kinds of problems like the breakdown of society you know the anger of young men to what women are doing with their bodies is i think deeply corrosive and and um yeah it was something i kind of commented on so i think it's a combination of you know history of um, things like kind of the victorian era and those sorts of attitudes of patriarchy and and it, you being used as a lever to kind of suppress women and religion and those three things i think are sort of often intermingled well, that's brilliant and thank you for explaining that so well it, it's just interesting you know some of the labels that you know I, i'm nearly 40 now but i've had so many different labels since i remember sort of at school about the the age of 11 hearing like the word um slag and slut and I remember thinking what what is that and you just heard it so frequently and then it was almost anybody I remember anyone who even like just snogged somebody else was labeled a slag and yeah um you know and and then you know over time as things have progressed there's words now like sket and mm. if you think about the word sket it's not like a nice word it's like you're calling somebody a flower it's like the incarnation of something nasty or um you know other words as well for somebody's seen 
to be like sexually promiscuous is often a, a, a Jezebel, a signing up with a devil. Um, and I, you know, and the same with boys now as well, like fuck boy. Um, and it, it, I always like wonder where where this came from and where these these kind of this need to put other people down for their own physical choices and you know lots of discussions I had with young people always about about this and some of them had this kind of argument that they felt if if a, a female was promiscuous particularly they were diminishing themselves or um, not valuing themselves so they didn't have high self-esteem or they must have some kind of mental um, condition or they were after attention and there's an argument for everything but sometimes I just say well what about individual choice and people just experimenting could that not just be it um so yeah just I suppose from your you know again your understanding of psychology and how people come to their you know assumptions in their arguments do you think there's there's a need maybe for people to feel that need to control other people's sexual behavior perhaps yeah I can speak I think there's always a danger when you've got a bloke like me on this um that it's sort of intellectualized you know I, I talk about it from a psychological perspective which I can do but I've also been in a long-term relationship with somebody who basically w w was doing kind of only fans work so I I'm fascinated by these debates on TikTok between you know very sort of chauvinistic men about you know I would never date this kind of person and where that mentality comes from and I think it is exactly as you say I think that it's it stems from possession at, at the end of the day I think it stems from the idea that a, a woman a woman belongs to somebody um, and therefore it's a little bit like car ownership people want a new car yeah. they don't want a second-hand car so they they want to know that you know that, that in in some cases and, and even today it seems incredible men are still voicing these attitudes that you know the woman is is a virgin and if she is then in a relationship with a man then that entails exclusivity in the same way that if you own a car then you're the only person who's allowed to kind of drive it around and i think although men will not often admit to that that's what fundamentally underlies this it's similarly with sort of um instagram you know you, you, you my partner would not be on i know this is kind of currently this jonah hill kind of controversy kicking off but it entitles you to say what your partner will and will not do with their body and if you just stop and pause for a second think how utterly incredible that is you know that we accept that and we do and many of us i think do tacitly is that my partner would never dictate to me that i can't do a conversation like this they would never say that but when it's a matter of clothing, now now all of a sudden it, there's shame attached to it. You can and you cannot do that. And you're entitled to say, because of the clothing? Is, isn't that just incredible that, that somehow we, we've sort of ingrained that so deeply in people that certain kinds of work are deemed acceptable and okay and others aren't and that it's all then related back to as a woman in a relationship you're essentially owned you know by a man and he is entitled to tell you what you can and cannot do when it comes down to anything that's kind of physical and, and just to finish that off I think you know it, it's only a few decades ago that this was more or less enshrined in law law that women were you know, property, not exactly that they're property, but women were not entitled to do things like hold bank accounts. They're not entitled themselves to own property. A few decades ago, it was impossible for a man to be charged with, with raping his wife because it's essentially he was entitled to do whatever he wanted with her when he wanted as if she were property. And so I think although we've emerged from that era legally, I still think it's very much part of the mentality.
Yeah, I mean, such good examples and in terms of, you know, emerging from that era. And and you often see, don't you, you're like there's one change on one side and the other side catches up. And I think that's also yeah. the way we often talk about men as well now. So, like, you know, saying fuck boy and he's a player and, yeah. you know, she's a slag and she's a scare. Or, and it always seems to be this one side or the other. And I remember having quite a few conversations with people in the past and, and you know, in your life as you do and saying stuff like, oh, you know, that person's a wife material and that person's a fling material, that person's yeah. this and that person's that. And it's, it always seems to be like the extremes of yeah. behavior. But yeah, and, it, and definitely this whole kind of, maybe this figure of like the mother figure and the whore figure and that there's this extremes yeah. of it and not seeing that like, the whole of what that actually breakdowns and uh, what actually that means, the mother figure and the whore figure is, is not actually real. It's, it's a person. And definitely in terms of, you know, when I worked a lot with young people in schools and PRUs and all sorts of things, I was, we talked a lot about like dehumanizing people. And when you see something and you believe something is a lesser value of you, then you, you treat, you don't mind as much if you treat it badly. Um, so that yeah, so there's definitely something about this. You're so right about this control and this ownership, um, and why we need to put other people down. I suspect who are seen to be sexualized or sexual. Uh, the female choice, like OnlyFans, you know, you know, I can sit with women and say I wouldn't do that because I just I'm doing other stuff. But I certainly, if I needed to, I'd, I'd have a go, and I wouldn't judge anyone for doing OnlyFans at all 100% their choice I think as women we should back people who do OnlyFans and the other thing is around that whole debate it's like OnlyFans wouldn't exist if people weren't buying the service and men weren't buying the service yeah. so I don't judge the men for watching OnlyFans and say oh they're this they're this they're that and label them so why would people label the people who are doing it I just I, I can't understand that argument like yeah I think it's so interesting yeah. because I think that coming back to your use of, of language and those sorts of words, it's interesting how, you know, player has positive associations, whereas you say slag is all negative associations. So the words are used to kind of carry shame or approbation. But the, the, the real toxicity of that dynamic is that the same men who will, you know, call a woman a slag or whatever it is, are the ones who are pushing for that kind of casual sexual interaction so on the one hand you know they're, they're sort of driving women you know to, to towards that activity and um, on the other hand as soon as they're doing it then they're sort of piling shame onto it so you know that's that's extraordinarily kind of damaging and i think it's very damaging for generations of women who have grown up and men to be fair with that negative association between sex and shame you know, it's just it does so many different kinds of damage in, in so many different kinds of ways to people. I think the OnlyFans thing is interesting. I can see arguments on both sides. I've heard women say effectively it's empowering, you know, um, because basically a patriarchal society has limited ways in which women can make money. You know, when, when I started out my career, careers advisors would basically tell women that they would be homemakers or they would be secretaries. And, you know, we've moved on a bit from that, but still there's, there are big kind of pay gaps, for example. So for some women, I can appreciate it's, it's empowering. But then you have the kind of the Piers Morgan type people who are saying, well, aren't, aren't your kids, aren't you going to be embarrassed to explain this to your kids? Why? Why? I say, why? Why is it embarrassing? Who made it embarrassing kind of work? If you're a language tutor, you can do something over cam 
great. If you're a yoga teacher, you can do that over cam. If you're not wearing enough clothing, now it's shameful. Who dis- who decided that? Where was that written down? And I think then it can be damaging for women where they have internalized that sense of shame and where they're feeling like they've been coerced into doing it and doing something they'll subsequently feel shameful about. But I think that shame is the problem. So I think that, yeah, I, uh, there's, it's, it's kind of quite a confused landscape. And as, as you point out, the vast majority of buying of any kind of pornography is men anyway. You know, that's the market. That's what's, you know, creating that economic opportunity, really. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's where does the line get drawn, really? You know, in terms of saying, on one hand, women shouldn't be like this and they should be like that. But on the other hand, we'll, we'll use the services where, we, you know, it's, it is a very confused landscape. But I think, you know, it must be also, as a young male, quite challenging. So what do you think it is like... I don't know, this is a big sweeping statement, but for like young men growing up in today's society with all these kind of complex messages coming across to them and yeah, using, yeah, how could that, I suppose, be a challenge really? I guess I have sort of mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to rush to feel sorry for men because <laughs> you know, men, men have had the upper hand for, you know, hundreds of years and have basically subjected kind of women to mistreatment within that kind of patriarchal system. What's happening now at the moment, I think is quite interesting, and it's very visible on TikTok, is that women are raising the bar in a number of ways. They're saying, you know, this is no longer acceptable. They're raising the bar in terms of their expectations for partners, and they're literally making the decision, as the statistics show, not to enter into relationships where they don't meet their standards. And I think men have started complaining bitterly about that, that now they're, you know, they're not allowed basically to get away, you know, with, with the kind of behavior that, that they would have done in the past. And to some extent, you just want to say, suck it up. This is your time to sort of step up and change and, and actually demonstrate that you can be a decent human being. And that's just struggling, struggling terribly with that. And this idea that you should actually have to treat, um, a, a, you know, a woman as a human being. So they're tremendously confused. Um, so, but I do have some sympathy because I think as a young man, um, one of the problems is that your sexual prowess is so deeply scored as part of your identity by your peers. In other words, if you're rejected by a woman, I think it, it for many men it hurts them so terribly deeply and I see a lot of sort of angry men on TikTok let's say because they've been rejected and what they're now doing is they're venting and they're now you know because they're so hurt by being rejected in one way or another they're going to go on TikTok and they say you know women this women that isn't women the other and and that's absolutely not okay but the reason they're doing it is because somehow as society we've you know, we've bolted this idea of sexual success into what it means to be a man. And I think that's a problem. And I feel sorry for young men who feel pressured to demonstrate to their peers that they are a sexual success, because I think it just makes any interaction with women um, ridiculously kind of charged. You know, and I think this is what underpins, you know, this kind of hustlers university, you know, people yeah. selling the, the secret steps to manipulating women you know, into bed. It's just, just absolutely nuts. Why is there a market for this? There's only a market because this is what young men feel they need to do to demonstrate that they, to other young men, frankly, that they, they are successful. And I think that's wrong. 
that's sad, isn't it? And, you know, I suppose in in both spaces, it's it's about what internalising shame does and, and often anger yeah. comes from sadness, right? So that feeling yeah. of rejection and getting used to rejection is quite hard um, for yeah. women as well sometimes. And I think maybe that's just a conversation that maybe we could have early with people understanding about like rejection. You get rejecting everything, right? Friends, yeah. sometimes relationships, work, kind yeah. of what all that means. Like, yeah, it's a big missing piece of the puzzle sometimes, isn't it? As you're growing up, what all that means really. Yeah, I think, I think you're so right. Cause I think rejection and failure is part of the learning curve. You know, you, you have to kind of go through that process to learn how to interact with somebody else. Um, you get rejected for a whole bunch of reasons, but a big part of that is just difference. When you go on a date, yeah. you might just discover that somebody has, they're different to you. They have different ambitions and it doesn't work out, right? But you have to be able to take that and at the end say, look, it was lovely to meet you, but um, we're just very different. So shake hands and off you go. And the problem is that men don't seem to be very good at doing that. I think women are quite good at doing that. But I think men are terrible at doing that because they, <laughs> they have this like possession-like attitude. It's like, you know, a woman is just a kind of a sexual object. So... It doesn't really matter what if her ambitions are aligned or not with yours. It's either a win or a, a lose. And that, that, that kind of, I think, fairly primitive attitude drives that kind of a lot of that sort of resentment. But I think it's going to get a lot worse. And I, I think it's going to get worse because of AI and, and digital. Because I think the, the beauty of that is you never get rejected. This conversation with Nick continues on the next episode of the Justice Is Now podcast. If you've been affected by anything you've heard in today's episode, there is support for you. All the support lines are listed in detail in the show notes of each episode. Do feel free to reach out and access any support you need. Thank you once again for listening to the Justice Is Now podcast. Mm-hmm.